Hello, sweet friends, and welcome back to Decidedly Dry. I've got another amazing guest on the show for today's episode. She is a beautiful new author, sober mama, and has a super inspiring story. But real quick, before we get to the interview, I wanted to let you guys know that this week we kicked off our 12 Days of Wellness Challenge over in our private Decidedly Dry Facebook group. Women are committing to 12 days of no alcohol and are completing one to two wellness tasks a day of their choice, meaning you guessed it. This challenge is for women of all ages and caters to a wide variety of goals. In the challenge packet, I give you, gosh, oh my gosh, 30 different wellness task ideas. They range from fitness to nutrition, mindfulness to random acts of kindness. It's got a ton of options. So far, it has been super inspiring seeing the women check in every day for accountability and share what they've accomplished that day. If you are not a part of our private Facebook community, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Just head over and join now. It's totally free, absolutely private, and we would love for you to join us. You can still totally participate in our free wellness challenge or just simply join the group to join. We'd love to have you, and I'll make sure to add that link in the show notes below. You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. All righty, my loves. Today, I am bringing you Meg. Meg is an ordinary mom who found herself trapped in the mommy wine culture. She began her sober curious journey in November of 2019, where her love of science led her to discover the real truth about alcohol and its seductive lies. As a truth teller, Meg is changing the narrative on the mommy wine culture, the hustle culture, and our pro-drinking culture. In Meg's debut book, Intoxicating Lies, One Woman's Journey to Freedom from Gray Area Drinking, Meg flips the script on the five most intoxicating lies we tell ourselves about alcohol. Meg resides in Delaware with her husband and two teenage children. Her family has been her rock throughout her alcohol-free journey. You can often find Meg enjoying nature on the beautiful trails of Delaware. You guys, oh my gosh, Meg was an absolute delight to chat with. I felt like I could have talked to her for hours. She is just so authentic, totally relatable, and her book is amazing. Okay, rather than me just blabbing away about how much I adore her, I am just going to skip right to our conversation. Here's Meg. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry, and I am so thrilled, selfishly very excited, actually, because this is my first time meeting Meg. Meg is our guest. Hello, Meg. Hi. Thank you, Jess, so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my gosh. This has been a long time coming, too. When did we first connect about this? Years ago. Well, I mean, it's been in the making. We've we're we're both fellow sober sisters. So I've been following you for a long time because I am a big fan of your podcast. It helped me tremendously throughout my alcohol-free journey. So I feel like I've been connected with you from the beginning. Oh, I love that. Well, yes. And you mentioned we were both from Sober Sis and all my listeners are probably like, okay, Jess, we get it. Sober Sis. But that is where we meet like so many amazing women. Um, And that is how we know each other. And then you had reached out when you were writing your book and you wanted to come on, which we will talk all about that. But it has been a long time coming and I'm just so glad that you're here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Well, being a listener and a fan of the show, you probably know which question I'm going to dive right into <laughs> because I just go off my list. It's pretty, pretty much the same each time, but um, I would love for you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself. So who you are, if you have kids, where you live and all that good stuff. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I'm Meg Geiswhite. I'm from Newark, Delaware. I've been married to my husband, Paul, for almost 20 years. We have two kids. My daughter is almost 16. She'll be 16 in a few weeks. And my son is 15. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my son is 13. <laughs> I Boy, I'm, I'm like, you know, you, you get all these kids and you forget all their birthdays. So yeah, actually Always. 13. <laughs> It's like when you call to make an appointment and then they start drilling you with questions like date of birth. I'm like, hold on, wait, like, I know, wait, which year my cheat card? <laughs> Mommy brain fog. Oh, always, always. Okay. So we did it. We did who you are, where you are. You are a mom. And what do you do for a living? So I'm in pharmaceutical sales. I've done it for 25 years. And um, for fun, I like to go hiking out in nature or biking on the trails. So you can only find, usually find me outside in the state parks, either biking or hiking on the beautiful trails of Delaware. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I've seen some of your posts and it looks beautiful out there. So it I is. love that you share that. Well, tell us your history with alcohol. We're going to get going. So when did you start? When did it start to shift? All of, all of those details that got you here. Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. So, um, it really started pretty early for me. Um, I grew up in no fault of my parents, a kind of a country club setting where my parents were either going to cocktail parties or having cocktail parties. And I really, at a very young age, uh, saw it as a way of letting off steam after a long week of travel for my dad. Um, my mom, you know, was a way for her to have fun and connect after managing the kids by herself all week. And again, no fault of their own. It's an old conditioned belief that this is how you have fun. But uh, after that, in eighth grade, we moved quite a bit and I just really wanted to fit in at my new school and wanted to be socially accepted. And so I had a slumber party with some of the popular girls and they asked if we could raid my parents' liquor cabinet. So of course I wanted to fit in and I said, sure. So we got into the peach schnapps Ugh. Ugh. and I had my very first hangover. I thought, gosh, how do people drink this stuff? It's disgusting. Um, and fe felt terrible the next day. And then it just went into high school. Um, the occasional when I could go to a party or sneak off to a party um, that I would have some, some beers usually. Uh, with some friends. And I really um, never understood the dangers around drinking other than drinking and driving, which was mm -hmm. a profound lesson that I learned my freshman year when I fell asleep on my bed thinking of a lie to tell my mom so that I could sneak off to a party. Thankfully, I had fallen, fallen asleep on my bed and unfortunately woke up to my best friend who um, I lost my freshman year in a drinking and driving accident that I would have been in the car with her uh, had I not fallen asleep. Um, so that that vow to never drink and drive really stuck with me. But really, there were no other, you know, warnings about alcohol other than my mom saying, you know, you punish yourself, which was true. Um, and so I continued to just kind of socially drink uh, through college and um, after college. However, during that time, I had, um, especially after college, a lot of student loans, and I really fell into um, the big alcohol industry and literally becoming the poster child for them because I did a lot of modeling gigs to make extra money on the side. And so I was the Budweiser girl, the the Guinness girl, the Jägermeister girl. And so I worked in these bars and I really started to fall into this object, objectification of my body, of external appearances, all while alcohol was surrounding all of this as a way of having fun and um, making some extra money on the side. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in college and right after college, I got myself into two situations with um, one in college, which was a sexual assault 
that happened um, from drinking too much keg beer and going outside with a young man and him um, taking advantage of me. And then um, post-college with somebody I had started dating and uh, unfortunately was was date raped. But as a sexual assault survivor, um, I really, at that time, blamed myself. Mm -hmm. I thought and felt that I was very unworthy and um, just didn't have a a really good sense of self-esteem. Coupled with not really feeling good enough, um, I started to feel a lack of control because I didn't have any control in my bot over my body in those situations. And so I started to go into like an over-functioning, trying to control everything in my life thereafter. It was really a trauma response to what had happened to me. And so um, when I got into sales, I really started to get into not only the people-pleasing with sales, but also that I am what I am. I'm as good as what I can produce. And I really fell into that hustle and grind culture that I'm only as good as my last quarter. I am as good as my rankings and that I'm as, I'm just, I am what I achieve. And all the while I was still in this external validation from those outside of me. Um, but just drinking socially and still through post-college. Then I met my husband and we got married and had two kids. And I started to fall into that mommy wine culture where the tea towels told me that it was mommy's sanity juice and that behind every great mom is a bottle of wine and that any challenges I had during parenting, alcohol was the solution. And alcohol had really been through my side through all those years of all those different hard life challenges. So um, I found myself believing, buying those tea towels and napkins, thinking they were funny. Mm -hmm. And what happened was I had three life, three back-to-back life events that happened that were really challenging events that, um, you know, we don't have an earth school to teach us how to deal with these types of things when they happen. It can be divorce, loss, Mm -hmm. loss of a job. um, And it can be the trauma, like the trauma I experienced. And because I had this unresolved traumas and I had these life challenging events, my drinking really shifted at that point from this social drinking to a medicinal drinking. Mm -hmm. And I was crying almost every day with these three back-to-back life events that I talk about in the book. And even my husband, he was like, I don't, I just don't know what to, how to help you. So he would come in with a glass of wine or I was getting myself a glass of wine. And it started to turn into this habitual nightly thing where I believed I deserved it after taking care of everybody's needs, working all day, making mm-hmm. sure the house, the home, you know, the, everything was the work, everything was taken care of. It was my escape time. It was my time to unwind and relax. I bought into all of the lies yeah. that society and big alcohol t- told us. But what happened was everybody was getting better. Those three back-to-back life events those things were resolving, but I was actually now stuck with this habitual wine habit. Mm. And what scared me was when I no longer wanted my kids to do sports in the evenings anymore so that I could come home to my rewarding glass of wine. And I, my inner knowing was pleading with me. It was saying, this is not right. It's taking control of you. You're no longer in control. Now I had tried to make myself believe I was in control. I would bike 20 miles and say, see, I don't have a problem. I would wake up in the morning with a slight hangover, but nothing ever too horrible. Just that slight fog, that slight shade of gray, working, always starting the day off at a deficit, working it off, eating a healthy salad at lunch, Mm -hmm. doing a strenuous punishing workout in the afternoon to prove to myself that I was in control, that I didn't have a problem that today would be different. And I would be so exhausted from working off that hangover, doing work, taking care of everybody that when five o'clock came, it was like my brain would flip and say, you've earned this. You deserve this. Just one, 
you, mm-hmm. you bike, you biked all those miles. You don't have a problem. You're, you're in control. You look, you're winning awards at work. Right. You're fine. You're fine. And in fact, I so thought I was fine that everybody around me was telling me my drinking looked just like theirs. When I asked if they thought I had a drinking problem, everyone said, no, you drink just like I do. In fact, I went to my therapist and said, I think I may have a drinking problem. I I felt crazy and alone in my mind. It was like this maddening back and forth. And because everybody else was doing it too, and seemed like they were fine. I thought it was just my problem and that Mm -hmm. I couldn't get it under control. And when I went to her, she said to me, you know, Meg, no, I think you're just thinking about it too much. And she kept me, that ill advice kept me in my gray area drinking for two more years. And it really wasn't until that fear of me no longer wanting my kids to do sports in the evenings and that inner knowing pleading with me to do something about it mm-hmm. that I finally clicked on the sober sis ad that I saw on uh, social media. And I thought it was going to be me and maybe three other women. And when I got in there and saw that there were hundreds of women that felt exactly like I did. And when Jen described the detox to retox loop, it was like the first time that I had felt seen and not alone and validated in my madness and raging war that was going on in my mind. And I just felt so great to be with like-minded women who were curious, just like me, what it felt like to not be with alcohol. I really couldn't, I never really quit, uh, stopped drinking more than two weeks at a time, which now in hindsight, it takes what, seven to 10 days for alcohol to leave your body. So I was never right. really getting out of that cycle <laughs> ever. in there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I never really gave myself a break. And so I thought, oh, you know what? I'm just going to take this 21 day reset and reset my relationship with alcohol. I didn't want to break up with it. I thought I'll just get a few tools under my belt and I'll go back to being quote unquote, a normal drinker, whatever that is. And, you know, I got in there and I started to feel the best I had ever felt. My eczema cleared up, my sleep improved. And I thought, what this is, I've never felt so good in my life. Life was starting to color was coming back in that, that slight shade of grade was disappearing and I was, everything was coming back into color. And so um, at that time, Jen, she, um, this was November of 2019 Okay, is when I did the reset and she did not have a program after that. So I did, um, I was reading this naked mind with Annie Grace mm-hmm. and I did the 30 day alcohol experiment with, with Annie Grace. And at 60 days, I thought, you know what? I want to go over a hundred days. Let's just do a hundred days. And even my husband was like, this isn't forever, right? We're just... <laughs> We're just kind of like feeling out Hold the water, right? Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, it was early on. I, I knew that there there was, that I hadn't ever felt better. But when I, because I'm in medical sales, when I started reading the truths about alcohol and this naked nine and, and doing the work in sober mm-hmm. sis and she telling us the truth as well, it was like the veil was starting to come down. And I was asking myself, why am I using a depressant to celebrate? Right. Why do I want to eat healthy all day, but then drink a carcinogenic at night? Mm-hmm. You know, it, what is gasoline really doing to my body? Exactly. And I just started asking myself a lot of questions and I became more and more so, uh, curious and being in sales, I'm stuck in the car. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm a podcast junkie. And so I was listening to all kinds of podcasts and reporting back to my sober sisters, everything I was learning while I was driving in the car. And Jen came out with an alcohol-free lifestyle course, which was 90 days. So mm-hmm. that's where it pushed me over the hundred days. And it was like, once I got past that hundred days, things just shifted in my brain. It was like a real, I know that we all just want to be fixed and lose weight and do everything in like the 30 day challenges. And I get that they're there for a reason. Look, I wouldn't have done this if it was, if it said hundred days, Totally. but I can tell you that the real shifts started occurring for me after a hundred days. And, um, so I really encourage people to give it more time and to do more than just 30 days, but just getting curious and seeing how you feel and really getting into asking yourself, what is this providing? 
Exactly. Is it really giving you rest? Is it really making you relax? What's it adding? Yeah. What's it adding? Benefit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I wrote the book because I fell into five intoxicating lies, which I cover in my book. And I believed them. I truly believed them. And, um, even, even in, in the middle of the book, I, I had a little sidestep. <laughs> we can talk about that. As but... we all do. Most of us do, I should say. Yes. Right. <laughs> we'll progress dive into over, that. Progress over perfection. Always. Yeah. Yeah. But so, and it... when you mentioned that you, so you're saying that you, you had a hiccup, you had some feedback. What do we call it? A data point or something? A like... data point. Oh, yeah. feedback. It's, I call it a sidestep. Yep. Um, it's not failure if you don't give up, but I had been alcohol free for 15 months mm. and I knew, I knew all the, the reasons why I shouldn't drink, mm-hmm. but I still had this very lurking belief in the back that if things got really bad and I had an effort moment, alcohol would be there. I still had this crutch kind of belief attached to it. I still had yeah. some value around it. And so when COVID hit, and um, we were all trapped inside. And I, I go into the whole story in the book. I really hit an effort moment when I found out that my daughter had been vaping and mm-hmm. she had lied to me about it. And so I was tired of fighting to try to keep everybody safe with COVID. I was yeah. tired about all the politics that were going on. I was upset and felt like a failure as a mother because she, she, you know, had done something that I thought we had discussed about the risks about it and Mm -hmm. then lied about it. And I just had one of those moments where I threw up my hand and said, I'm done fighting. I'm done fighting, you know, being for my sobriety, everything. And I went downstairs and I poured myself a big glass of wine and I took three big sips and my husband came down and he said, I I had no idea you were in so much pain. I'm, I'm, Mm. you know, you don't have to do this. And I just said, you know what? I don't want to fight anymore. I don't, I just kind of like I give up. And then my daughter came down the stairs and she had tears in her eyes and she said, mom, is, is this my fault? And it was like my why one of the major reasons I had quit drinking was for them and, and for myself, but yeah. it, it was like my why got slapped across my face. And here I am telling her not to do an addictive substance. Right. And here I am <laughs> drinking a highly addictive substance. Oh. What am I modeling? What am I doing? Right. And I realized in that moment that I still had this belief. I still had value around it mm-hmm. and it shifted me out of it. It was like, it went away. I'm so glad for it. It was, And right. so if anybody's having slip ups in their journey or several day ones, but if you're learning from it and it's moving you forward in the journey, right. then it it's all for good. It's not perfect. It's progress over perfection. Like we talk about all the time in sober sis. And so I am grateful that that happened. And I had this whole conversation with my daughter. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, but we get the choice then when we know better to do better the next time. Mm -hmm. And it was a great moment for both of us. And, you know, I think the greatest joy for me is when my kids told me, mom, you have so much more patience since you quit drinking. Wow. Wow. Isn't that what we want for our kids? Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And what a growth opportunity for you both in that moment, you know, I mean, for her to come downstairs and for you to have that moment. And I'm so glad that you pointed it out too, because it is, it is, you never want those slip ups. You would love for it to be perfect, but that's not realistic for a lot of us. You know, mine happened, I think, um, around 140 ish days. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a stress thing. It was a, this is really hard mm-hmm. and I'm tired of trying so hard. And how in the world am I going to go to all these country concerts this summer and not drink? That mm-hmm. was what I was worried about. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back now, you're going, you just shake your head. You're like, oh my gosh, Jessica. What? <laughs> but, but you still had a lurking belief that you I had a belief. Fun, you had to have your yep. alcohol. Yep. And that's, that's why I write about the intoxicating lies. Cause it's, exactly. it's a lie that we still believe there's some belief 
still lurking in our brains. Right. Right. And, 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 and I don't know if it was because I knew I was going, it was a rare opportunity to go with like family. And so I was like, man, I don't want to be the only one not drinking. Like how Mm. could I possibly take advantage of this? You know, look at the words that I use, take advantage of this opportunity, you know, to be with my family when really, again, like you said, we're using this depressant to celebrate. We have this mind altering substance, you know, I mean, oh, you just, when you know better, you do better. That's right. Here we are. That's right. No, and it's all a learning process. We don't just get up and run a marathon. We train for it. And and Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman, when she wrote about that, she said, you know, you don't just get up and just run the New York marathon. You have to train for it. And Mm -hmm. so as long as we're learning in the process, it's all feedback. It's not failure. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. And um, I just have to say, I adore your book. I was so lucky to have the opportunity to read it because it's not out yet, right? We have not launched. So it is not, it it launches, um, the, the bookstore release date is January 17th to the, you know, next 2023, but the book just arrived to my house. So off of my website, I am selling signed copies right now. So, um, at intoxicatinglies.com, but no, it, it will, it's, She's coming in a few weeks to everywhere books are sold. Oh, it's so exciting. And I told Meg before we hit record, I was like, I'm not just saying this because you're a guest. I wouldn't lie, (laughs) but it is so good. It is so good. And what I love about it is it's just authentic. It's real. It is not one of those books you pick up and you're like, I can't even wrap my head around this. It's too much. It is, it is the complete opposite. It is one that you pick up and you read and you're like, oh my gosh, me too. Oh, that's my story too, you know, and maybe not to a T, but just conversations like we have here where people listen and they're like, oh my gosh, that happened to me as well. I, I feel seen, I feel heard. And yes. so I'm just, I'm very grateful and I feel lucky to have, uh, have got to get a sneak peek before it hits the stores. But oh, well, um, thank you so much for your, amazing. for your feedback. It means so much to me and it, the book journey itself was its own cathartic journey, but I, I really just want to try to help as many women who are trapped in gray area drinking feel seen, feel heard, because I felt alone and crazy. Yeah. And at that time in 2019, there really was, wasn't any books talking about gray area drinking. And that's why I wrote it. And um, I really got sucked into the mommy wine culture, the hustle culture, the beauty culture, the big alcohol, you know, Mm -hmm. messages and themes and memes. And I just want women to, to know that they, there's so much beauty on the other side of alcohol and, and freedom, um, from just a life of there's so much, there's so many challenges to life anyway, in parenting Mm -hmm. and alcohol just compounds it all. And we are sold this big fat lie that it is the solution and that we deserve it. And we don't, we deserve rest and community and connection and support, not wine, real self-care, real true self-care. Yes. All right, my dear, I'm looking at my list. I have questions written down about the book, if that would be okay to kind of touch on those. So tell me what was the big, big decision? What, what was your why in writing the book? You just kind of told us it was because you, you really wanted to share that message, but was there anything else where you woke up and you were like, okay, I have to do this? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a great question because, um, when I was younger, I used to journal all the time and I have boxes of journals and, I had always had this feeling that God had laid this uh, a book on my heart. Now, when I was drinking, I will tell you that the connection to myself and my creativity was zilch. I mean, it just, it just diminished it. And I wasn't writing and I wasn't, I really was, I felt like alcohol kept me trapped in the limiting beliefs that I talked about that happened earlier in my life. And it kind of was a facade and like just rough, you know, kind of curved out the rough edges of my life. And I just stayed there for so long. And when I removed it, it was like the writing and the creativity just started flowing. And 
the connection to myself and learning to love myself once again and let go of these limiting beliefs. And so many women, you know, we're told to, to be good and, or you're not thin enough, or you're not, you know, you're not smart enough. And you're all these things that we're told as women. And we get, we get sucked into these limiting beliefs. When, when we remove something that is disconnecting us from us, which is alcohol, it allows us to step into our worth, our knowing, our intuition, our creativity, take back our power. And so all of this started flooding in and I was sharing my journal entries with my sober sisters and they said, Meg, you've got to write a book. And so um, I, I took a writing course called Find Your Voice. And when I was done, I contacted the lady who ran the course. And I said, I already have 32,000 words written. And she said, oh my gosh, well, you have (laughs) about a half of a book already written. So we need to find you a content editor. And so I found a content editor, um, Ariel, and she took kind of my lump of clay of thoughts and early, my early sober curious journey and, and helped me create this beautiful book where we go over the five most intoxicating lies and at the end the truth and did you know so Mm -hmm. you know some of the 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 hard facts that a lot of people don't want to face which is usually the science around alcohol that it can you know it's linked to seven to eight types of cancer um you know, the things that sometimes people don't want to hear. And so I had originally had all that in one chapter and it felt like it was coming from a place of fear and preaching. And I don't want to ever feel that way. Like, I think that people need to figure this out. Everyone's journey is different. Mm -hmm. Everyone's journey is unique and we do it for different reasons. And so I didn't want it to be this, I wanted it to be very gentle at the end of each chapter. Like I fell into this lie and that's okay. There's no shame in it, but it is our responsibility to do something about it. Exactly. Yep. How long did the process take writing the book? Uh, Over two years. Yeah. I mean, I, so I just celebrated three years in November and I am just now launching the book. So, I mean, it started really right away. I mean, my, my very first, um, journal entry on was why do I want to quit? And Mm -hmm. I had the three things, you know, I wanted to sleep better. I wanted to be out of the detox to retox maddening cycle. And I wanted to be a better wife, mom, and who God designed me to be, you know, I just felt like I wasn't living into my fullest potential. And, um, then I wrote down the three things I thought it was giving me. And it's Mm -hmm. so intriguing when you journal to go back and see the growth and it just takes a lot of time and baby steps, but you look back at those baby steps and you see the leaps that you've made in, in the journey. And so for anybody who's listening, who's just starting out, just be gentle with yourself. It takes time. Stay curious. Keep asking yourself these questions and journal about it and get into it. Yeah. Well, and I always tell people too, I mean, journal the good and the bad. And I mean, and the ugly, I guess we could say, but like sometimes just journaling, even if it's a few sentences, you can pick up on patterns, you know, that maybe lead to a, a hiccup in your journey. Like, oh my gosh, every time I go on vacation or, oh my gosh, every time I go out with so-and-so God bless them. Like, Something doesn't go my way, you know, or it really shakes my journey, or maybe I come home just feeling really triggered or really tempted, whatever word you use. And I feel like journaling, it doesn't have to be sitting down and writing for 20 minutes. I don't even know a mom that has that amount of time. (laughs) If you do, let me know Um, (laughs) your secret. But I mean, just jotting down a few things, you can really learn a lot about yourself and your journey. So thanks. Yeah, I have an intention journal and it's just one page and it takes me about two minutes. And I just, what's my intention for that day? Some days it's how I'm feeling. And like you said, I, there's been days in my journal, that's just all cuss words, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that's the thing to the great thing about journaling is there's no right or wrong. You can, you can draw pictures in it, just whatever feels and resonates. 
but really the important thing is listening to your, your inner knowing and really tapping in and slowing mm-hmm. down. Like as women, we're so pissy. Yeah. Just taking a few minutes to take a few deep breaths and listen to what your inner knowing is telling you. And she's always there guiding you and she's always. got the right answers and she's always guiding you back to the truth. Yeah. And it almost feels like you're releasing something. It's yeah. Like, okay. I got that out. And I mean, hey, that is one little check mark you can make off your to-do list, right? And who doesn't like to check something off? It's like <laughs> journaling, done. <laughs> um, well, I would love for you to share if there was a portion of your story or your book that was the most challenging to share about or write. Yeah, I mean, I, you and I briefly talked about this privately, but when I, when I started out early in the journey, I just really felt so raw. Like I had no skin, everything that came at me. I was so overly sensitive. I'm a, I'm a highly sensitive empath person anyway, but taking away something that was my facade and my protector, Mm -hmm. kind of my numbing agent, I just felt like I had no skin. And the, the part in the book, which I don't think a lot of people talk about is, you know, finding that intimacy with my husband again, because to be honest with you, it was a lot of times where after a few glasses of wine, you feel a little more loosey, you know, goosey, and you're Mm -hmm. just like, let's have a good time and more inebriated to, you know, be more intimate. And it was like this period for me where I was unbecoming and trying to figure out who I was becoming. And that transition time, almost like a snake shedding her skin. Right. It really, really was hard for us at some points to connect because we used to connect over a glass of wine. Yeah. And that would lead to other things. And that was all gone and changing. And I was going to bed early, waking up early, which was different, you know, so there was a lot of change happening and we don't talk, I know that people say like sober sex is better. And I, I understand why they say that, but I also think that in one of the parts we don't talk about is that when you're going through that transitional period, which is really a tough time in the journey, you need to, I had to sit down with my husband and say, this has nothing to do with you. This doesn't mean I'd love you any less. In fact, you have been my rock through this journey and I love you. I just have to shift, you know, doing this, this, everything we used to do differently. So now we go on hikes together. We bike together. You know, we connect earlier in the evenings. It's just, it, it was like, we had to find our new rhythm mm-hmm. and that rhythm took time. It yeah. was like, everything was corroded and the wires, especially the intimacy wires were all out of whack and they had to find reconnection and a new way. And it took time. It just yeah. took time, but we're, we're okay. We've, we made it, made it through it. I yeah. don't know. Do you, can you relate? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, so much. And, um, I was just smiling because I was like, oh my gosh, if I, maybe I have to give my mom a warning, like earmuffs, mom, don't listen to this part. No, <laughs> she's so old school. Um, but it is something I don't think we talk about a lot. I mean, you hear a lot of people, like you say that like, oh, sober sex, like there's nothing like it, but maybe that's not the case for everybody. Maybe, right. you know, we need to dive in and talk about, I don't mean me and you, this could be a, a conversation for another day, but, <laughs> but I mean, there is, I feel like a hole or like a, a lacking of that conversation of that transition when you're getting sober in your relationships might change, you know? And I think for me, for my personal experience, yes, that beginning part, I mean, you feel kind of selfish, but the only thing I was worried about was staying sober. It was like, I cannot think about anything else right now. Mm -hmm. I can't think about you. Like I am busy making lunches and getting the kids together, (laughs) like you get all the things. And so to be honest, for me, that was the last thing on my list. Mm -hmm. And I think moms just in general go through that phase because we're busy and we're tired and we love, love, love our husbands so much. But sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like we we forget about those things and the importance of having an intimate relationship, you know. And so I think in sobriety, 
and I'm just going off on a whole tangent, but, um, I I think, I think what you pointed out, what I heard, which I related the most to was getting to a point where we're comfortable and we're confident in having those hard conversations, you know, where before for me, I probably wouldn't have the guts to talk to my husband, like, Hey, I know things are changing right now and they are changing for the good, but we need to make sure we're on the same page and figure out a way to make this work and to still have us be good because they might not be quitting drinking. They might not have signed up for this, you know? And so respecting them enough and caring enough about our relationship to have those conversations and make sure we're meeting their needs too, or, you know, at least letting them know where we are. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, is very valuable. And I, I, I would love for someone to talk more about that because I think it would be a great conversation. No, I agree with you. And I think, you know, like they, they have their needs, but we're changing so Mm -hmm. rapidly and we're showing up so differently and it's a good thing, but for a while you're trying to figure out how you're showing up. Like you said, you just want to stay alcohol free and your focus is somewhere else. And it's not always on your marriage, you know, because you're just so focused on this journey. And I know for a lot of women in my group, it's like, you remove the alcohol and all the little issues in the marriage start popping up and you have to talk about them and you have to face them now. And of course, you know, I'm a big proponent of therapy, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's, you know, marriage therapy or your own therapy, but, um, it, it really is the communication and taking the time to be honest and saying, you know, and, and also just realizing you're showing up differently and not everybody's going to like it. Right. They're used to you a certain way, right. you've shown up probably for the past couple decades, a certain way. And now you're showing up completely different. And when you're in that awkward, uncomfortable phase, you're not even really sure how you're showing up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and all of it is good though. I mean, you're learning as you go and you're learning, like you said, to really get to know yourself again and become yes. that authentic version of yourself that you've always probably been trying to be, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, when you choose to become alcohol-free, it forces you to be in these uncomfortable situations. So you have Mm -hmm. to sit with those uncomfortable feelings. You're going to have your first wedding, your first vacation, your first holidays, all those firsts that, yeah, they feel different. They feel Mm -hmm. awkward. They feel like that. So social lubricant is gone. But each time you're building your alcohol-free muscle and it gets easier and easier and it just takes time. You have to be gentle with yourself. You know, right. it, 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 it slowly but surely does get better with time. And then you show up more confident in who you are. You're, you know who you are. And so you're that self-doubt that used to have all the time with the anxiety is, yeah. you know, really diminished and so not everybody might not like me and that's okay. They're not for me. You know, I've in this journey, I've lost a couple friends and I've gained some really incredible new ones right. and it's hard. Yes. I grieved it, but I want to be in a place now where I'm having deep, meaningful conversations. I don't want to be stuck in the gossip and surface conversations anymore. I'd rather, you know, go into a more meaningful, meaningful conversation with, with, uh, people, but it's not to mm-hmm. say I don't go out and have a good time. I do. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just a big transition and it, it allows you also to the biggest thing. And I wrote about it as well is being able to sit with your own pain allows you to sit with somebody else's pain and not try to fix it and not try to, to help it and rescue it. And that just like we were talking about earlier, most people want to be seen, heard, loved, and validated, Mm -hmm. not always rescued, fixed, controlled, helped, given advice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that the alcohol-free journey is such a beautiful thing because it teaches you all these gifts for yourself that then you can give to other people where you can say, I'm here for you. I'm so sorry that you're going through this incredibly difficult challenge. I'm holding so much space for you. And if you want to talk, I'm here for you. But I, Mm -hmm. I, I used to always feel like I had to fix everything and help everyone. And 
control it. And I no longer feel that. And it's so freeing. There's so much freedom in that. So it's like freedom from alcohol and the grips of alcohol, but now freedom to living in a place of less exhaustion because I'm not running around taking care of everyone. I'm taking care of myself first and still showing up for my loved ones in a way that is probably healthier for everyone. In a real way. And what I got from all that, I was just sitting here shaking my head, nodding, not shaking, but (laughs) is that they know who's going to show up. I mean, we are consistent now. Like my kids, I mean, the way they look at me, I'm not saying it's always, you know, been this way, but they know that mom's going to be there. They know that mom's going to show up. They know I don't want to say what version they're going to get of me because let's be honest, sometimes moms are tired. Sometimes we're over caffeinated or excited or whatever. We're human, <laughs> right. but I am dependable and I am patient. And, and I think that is very true for our other relationships too. You know, they know so that true. we're going to so- show up as the real Jess or the real Meg, you know, yes. and that isn't that what we want to be. Isn't that what we want to do? It's truly what we want. And that allows you to feel safe in your own body. And then others feel safe around you. Mm -hmm. You know, your boundaries, you know, who you are, you know, what you will put up with and won't put up with. And everybody feels safe because like you said, it's consistent. It's, it's present. It's not fogged out. You know, what's boring Mm -hmm. is being checked out of a conversation or not remembering it or being too over to fully engage. Totally. I mean, I think it's funny that we call it wasted, you know, because it's, it's a waste, you know, and zero judgment. If you are stuck in it, we came from there, but you look at it now and you're like, oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, wasted. I wasted that moment. I I didn't get to have that meaningful conversation that I'm going to remember the next day, you know? So, oh my gosh, Meg, we could talk forever. Um, I'm looking at my list. Did you, I would love, I'm looking at the time too. I think we've got room for two more. So looking forward, what will this new chapter, no pun intended, of your <laughs> life enable you to do? What's next for Meg? So it's interesting because we are um, talking in Sober Sis right now about our word for 2023. And I thought my word was going to be alchemy, like this transition and transformation. And we were talking about why do women always feel like they have to better themselves, fix themselves, do something else. And it really kind of hit me. It was like, I've been working on myself and doing this hard work and I always will. I know Mm -hmm. it's never, it never ends. But for me now, I know I'm, I'm more than enough and that I'm worthy. And so my word for 2023 is abundance. I just want to step into abundance and I don't mean financial abundance. I mean, seeing my book help as many women free themselves from gray area drinking, from the mommy wine culture, from the limiting beliefs that we're told about ourselves as women. I want to see women step into their voice, their worth and know that there's so much beauty on the other side of alcohol. And that to me feels abundant and I feel like it's coming and Mm -hmm. the best is yet to come. And so, um, I have also been, uh, I haven't quite started yet because I've been very busy with the book, but, (laughs) um, down the road, stay tuned. I hope to start a writing community center where women can slow down And we can do a grounding meditation together and really regulate our nervous systems after a long day and step into some journal prompts and writing Mm. that really reconnects ourselves with our inner knowing. And I want it to be a safe container for women to come in and grow through their writing. I love that. So it's something that I'm working on. And that's kind of the next thing down the road. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I'm sure you've heard this question before on the show. It's my favorite, but to the one or many people that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change, what advice would you give them? I would say just to stay curious, don't give up. 
and to get into community, whether it's just even on Instagram, because there's so many wonderful um, people on Instagram, sober, sober influencers, or a community online where you can feel seen, heard, and loved, that connect, that connection and that support, you need those tools to really forge forward in your journey and to not feel alone. So community, connection, support, and most importantly, just rest, just mm -hmm. slow down, take a deep breath. It's the holidays right now. It's a busy, busy time. We're all overwhelmed. Just baby steps, one step at a time. Be gentle with yourself. I love that. Oh, Meg, this was such a treat. I loved it so much. And I know people are going to have so many good nuggets that they take away from this conversation. Um, if people would like to get in touch with you, I will have all of your contact info in the notes. But what is the best way for them to reach out? Well, thank you so much, first and foremost, for having me. It's such an honor. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, so I live on Instagram and it is attached to Facebook as well. But my Instagram handle is intoxicating lies book, all one word. You can also find me on my website, which is intoxicatinglies.com. You can download the first chapter for free when you visit my website and if you go to intoxicatinglies.com backslash common, you can get the five most common intoxicating lies that we tell ourselves. And I encourage you to print out. It's a free PDF um, that you can print out and ask yourself, am I believing these lies? What am I telling myself or what do I believe alcohol is providing for me? So, um, and anywhere books are sold, intoxicating lies will be available everywhere books are sold. Yay! Oh, I'm so, so excited. And I had to laugh a little, Meg. Oh my gosh, when you said I live on, I thought you were giving your address. I was like, no, wait, Meg, not your street address. Not that kind. <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, oh wait, whoo. That was close. I'd have to cut that out for, uh, for privacy. No. <laughs> oh, Meg, this was so, so fun. I am, I'm just so excited about your book for everyone to read it and get in touch with you. And I just appreciate you for taking the time. So thank oh, you. Oh, such a treat. Thank you so much for having me. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.